0: Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Can iron be used to repel negative entities? Is reincarnation real? What's the story with these Georgia Guidestones that were just blown up? Hello and welcome to the 954th edition
1: of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno coming to you from WOON AM and FM Radio in Woonsocket, Rhode Island on the Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live on YouTube and via TuneIn.com I'm Ben and that smorgasbord of questions came from my co-host and
0: partner in Paranormal Adventures and Dad, Paul Joining us today as special guest co-host is Peter William Shelley, our good friend from Bogota, Colombia, Peter uh, has been known to our uh, regular listeners for years as the mysterious Peter from South America, <clears throat> Excuse me. who sends in excellent questions every week. A native of San Jose, California, Peter has had an active interest in UFOs and the paranormal since the 1960s. After attending film school, he worked in cartoon animation as an artist. Ultimately, he was employed at Hanna-Barbera Studios. In 2020, Peter started his own podcast on YouTube, Shadowy Spectrums. He specializes in interviewing researchers from outside the United States. He lives in Bogota, where he has taught English for over 10 years, but I understand now he's retired. So, Peter Shelley, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal.
2: Well, thank you, and uh, appreciate this great honor.
0: Well, it's an honor to have you with us.
2: Oh, yeah. It's always a good time.
0: Okay. Well, it's an open line show, folks, so let's start with a question (laughs) from Doug in Texas. Uh, Ben, if you would.
1: Sure. Okie dokie. So, Doug writes to us, I've noticed that the djinn and fairies share many characteristics, Uh, most notably the fear of iron. Have you or other paranormal investigators used iron to uh, repel and or battle paranormal
0: parasites? Can iron be used to repel parasites? Well, from my case, kind of yes and no. But let's look at the background of that first. Uh, Peter is a painstaking researcher. I know he's kind of researched this. So, What have you found on this question, Peter?
2: Well, um, via um, Wikipedia, and excuse my voice, um, it says here that um, that in some areas of Iran, an epileptic seizure was thought to be a gin attack. Uh, or jinn possession and people would try to exercise the djinn by citing the name of God and using the iron blades to draw protective circles around the victim iron blades so that's something about
0: iron right, Yeah. well the um, I have a book here by our, our friend uh, Cassandra Eason uh, British researcher and uh, Wiccan who has written a book, uh, many books, and one of the things she cites in her book, The Magic of Fairies, is uh, do, not, it, it's a, do not something, uh, anything containing iron when it comes to dealing with these, these beings. And she cites The Golden Bough uh, by folklorist Sir James Fraser. Uh, and quote describes how iron should be wedged in the door of a fairy dwelling to prevent them uh, from shutting in humans, that they really hate anything containing uh, iron. Now, there are some there's some research that says that uh, the gin and fairies hate anything that's metal at all. Now, uh, Doug's question is have I ever used this or have we ever used this? Uh, in a way, Yes, I'm aware of the iron thing, but you don't know what kind of entities you're dealing with if it is indeed a paranormal situation. What we, what I have used for many years are things that amount to bells. Now, bells are made of. We think of bells being made of bronze, but many of them are made of iron. And um, whether this is uh, uh, deliberate or not, we found that that the sound of bells has traditionally and particularly in the western uh, traditions uh, chased away demons why do churches have bells? well it tells everybody when the service is going to start but it also um, there is an ancient belief that these it, it frightens off demons now in, in a situation where you have children in a house with a lot of negative stuff going on poltergeist or anything like that I have often found that you, you have to you, you solve these things by dealing with the people. You don't just go in and fix it. Hmm. People have to really fix it themselves. And when there are young children who are frightened, uh, I have a little wind chime. You say, uh, you know the, Oh, okay? yeah. And uh, you give it to the child, and you let the child go through the house with you from room to room. And, and not only do the children love the sound, it uh, soothes them. And uh, we also will, will in addition, to that give them an icon of angels, the guardian angel, with a little boy or a little girl, whatever. And um, they that, that uh, and we find that, that that it does sort of promote an atmosphere of peace, probably by means of the people. So that that's a, a long way around of saying uh, yeah, kind of. Uh, now the bells. Uh, or I should say the wind chimes. I'm not sure what they're made of, but it could be iron. But again, there are some traditions uh, where all metal is a problem for these beings. Uh, and the question that I would always ask: Well, why would it be a problem? And is um, I'm thinking, iron is the most common mineral in the universe. Am I wrong?
1: Um, I, th- I thought it was hydrogen.
0: Oh, well, the hydrogen is not a
1: mineral. A uh, oh, good, good point. Okay. I'm thinking. I'm thinking chemical compounds. Um, yeah. No. I think.
0: I think you're right. Yeah, I think so. Right. And uh, so, what that would have to do with that, I don't think they, they wouldn't bind it if it's so common. I don't know. Well, Here,
1: arguably, you could make you
0: could make the argument that would explain why there's not paranormal phenomena all the time, everywhere. Well, perhaps. I mean, uh, one of the things with iron or ferrous oxide is that. Um, you know and again i was an early advocate of this um th- this haunting theory that st- stuff can be recorded on the environment and played back later whether it be sounds or the the, the visions of people from the past or anything else and you know I, I, that i think is sort of a, an excuse for from people who really don't know about quantum mechanics or, or the special theory of relativity or things of that kind mm. and they just say well it must be recorded on something. Well I mean recorded on what? You'd need tremendous amounts of iron a ferrous oxide in say a stone wall to even begin any kind of recording like that and, and I'm not sure even how it would work so uh, iron obviously figures in the paranormal and they, kind of in a way I have used it so Peter what say you?
2: Well I yeah, I find that stone tape's theory interesting. I I'm not sure that it's valid, though. Um, the iron, now magnetic magnetic tape. Just thinking of um, EVPs recorded on magnetic tape. Mm. Is there iron on magnetic tape?
1: Oh, that's a good question.
2: Well, Ben, you you went to.
1: Oh, now school
2: now school in studied sounds.
1: Now I now I got I got to dredge up.
2: <laughs>
1: um what I remembered it just, about cassettes
2: it, you know makes me think of the the traditional um, um defenses against uh, werewolves would be a silver the silver bullet yeah, yeah. that type of thing um, well you know, we have- I haven't personally experienced uh, any of these things um so i'm not I'm not sure but if the um the listener experiences a gin they could try, Iron and they give us a report on the results.
0: Yeah, yes, I'd like to see that. Uh, in the early days, and you know, back when dinosaurs walked the earth, and I was just starting <clears throat> my first cases, we used cassette tapes. And one of the ironic things uh, on our very first field case in Pomford, Connecticut, in 1970 through 72 was uh, in August of 1971 when we heard children laughing. And I've told this story many times, uh, down by Nightingale Brook, below what had been the mill and a the, the couple of houses in this site. And they were uh, acting very odd spatially. But um, the, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it, it was um, with, with the tape, we, we could not record it. It was almost like an EVP in reverse. We all heard it, but we couldn't record it. But again, you know, this is primitive uh, medium compared with what the digital media today. But nevertheless, we found it very interesting. Oh. And it was very clear. And we, we, couldn't, we could hear the, the Katie dids, and we could hear ourselves, but we couldn't, it didn't record the, uh, the voices we were all hearing
1: also to to add to this Peter I, I did a did a quick check because I, I I thought you were correct with the with the iron oxide for metallic tape you are correct it is iron oxide typically typically it's iron oxide um, although chromium dioxide and other other metals and small and metal particles like barium ferrite are also used in cassette recordings
2: hmm. so, All right yeah
0: so um, I, while we I have not chased anything with a Iron sword or anything, Doug. Uh, I think there is some work to be done in that. I think it, it could be tried, and uh, I have found metal to be a, a useful tool in in many cases. So, mm-hmm. kind of a yes or no, as I said. Okay, uh, why don't we move on to one of the? Mo- we've absolutely received a slew of, of questions and comments on this Georgia, these Georgia s- guide stones as yeah. they're called. Apparently, what happened was that uh, someone uh, evicted an explosive device to the site. These are, they call it America's Stonehenge, or American Stonehenge, because it's got these standing stones and a couple of lintel stones, and it has writing on it. And somebody apparently tried to blow it up, damaged it to the point where it had to be removed. Now, what it said on these, they were there <clears throat> since 1980. Somebody put them, nobody is entirely sure who funded it, can't have been cheap. Uh, <clears throat> the authors of this are unknown, but I'll read what was on them. <clears throat> and I, I must say, when I first heard Americans, America's Stonehenge, I was afraid. It was our friend uh, in New Hampshire, uh, Dennis Stone, you couldn't ask for a more appropriate name. Right. The owner of uh, what had been known as Mystery Hill and is now known as America's Stonehenge. Dear friend of ours, been on the show many times, and the place had been vandalized uh, a few years ago, <clears throat> much to the uh, chagrin of everyone there. But th- that is this turned out to be in Georgia, and it's nothing like what's in New Hampshire. So here's what's, what was written on those stones. <coughs> Excuse me. Elegies are terrible in New England this year. Maintain humanity under 500 million in perpetual balance with nature. <clears throat> Number two, guide reproduction wisely, improving fitness and diversity. <clears throat> Three, unite humanity in a new living language. <clears throat> Number four, rule passion, faith, tradition, and all things with tempered reason. Number five, protect people and nations with fair laws and just courts. Next, let all nations rule internally, resolving external disputes in a world court. Next, avoid petty laws and useless officials. Nobody could disagree with some of these. Mm. Uh, next, balance personal rights with social duties. Next, prize truth, beauty, love seeking harmony with the infinite. And finally, be not a cancer on the earth, leave room for nature, and then it repeats, leave room for nature. So on these stones, this was carved in English, Spanish, Swahili, Hindi, Hebrew, Arabic, (coughs) Chinese, Russian, Egyptian hieroglyphs, and classical Greek, which I assume is Koinegri. Again, nobody knows what what this, this is. <clears throat> now, when I read the first point here about the five hundred limiting human population to five hundred million people in perpetuity, uh, I mean, what, what are you going to do? How, how are you going to eliminate, you know, four fifths of the world's population? I was—I've <clears throat> never said this publicly before—but in the 19, early 1970s, I was involved in an organization called the World Association of World Federalists. It was headquartered in Ottawa, and it had a very cozy relationship with the United Nations. Now, the, the world federalism movement still exists, and it's taken many forms, and there are many people, I suppose you could consider them elites, who think it's a great idea. Now, at the time, uh, my understanding of it was that... Um, it arose. The movement arose in the mid the mid twentieth century, after two world wars, and tens of millions of deaths, and with the not unreasonable idea that unless we come together somehow as a, as a as a planet and as a species, we're going to blow ourselves to smithereens. And that seemed to be a good idea to me at the time. And on the surface of it, is it is a good idea. However, <clears throat> the idea was to uh, create a world federation, something kind of along the lines of the United States or Canada uh, where you would have uh, all nations would give up a certain amount of their sovereignty and you would have a uh, whether it be loose or whatever federation of global thing maybe along the lines of Star Trek or something. they're never specific about what. Countries on earth do, but it seems everybody's part of this federation. So, but the only trouble with that, I mean, looking back on it today, is that, um, you know, you could end, uh, particularly with the surveillance uh, technology today, you could end up with a police state of a kind unknown in history. Ah, but that's the trick. You make things sound reasonable. Well, exactly, yeah. (laughs) Well, let me tell you what I heard at the United Nations. Now, the the WAWF had this cozy relationship with the U.N., and if you lived anywhere near New York City or if you wanted to fly in, you could attend special meetings there uh, with members of the World Federalists and uh, high-ranking or low-ranking diplomats uh, who were working on certain committees. I was particularly interested at that. I I was last year of high school, first year of college. I was interested in the Law of the Sea Treaty that was being negotiated at the time. And I had some opinions on that. And uh, <clears throat> I'm standing there one day, and we had a meeting in the General Secretariat building, which is the big, tall one. And I'm standing in the hall. Actually, I'm sitting and uh, waiting for someone else who was going to ride with me back to Connecticut. And there were six people standing within earshot of me. And I knew who they were because they'd been in the same meeting. There were three. There weren't any major diplomats, but there were three diplomatic staff, and there were three members of our group. They were they were speaking very seriously and learnedly about how to eliminate uh, most of the world population and get it down to 500 million to a billion tops. Now this is not a conspiracy. There, I was there and I heard this. Now whether it was that they were just spitballing. Or whatever, but but one wonders where these people are today. One of them was from one of the diplomatic staff was from what was then Ceylon, or Sri Lanka as it is today. And uh, <coughs> they I I listened to them for about five minutes. Um, birth control and abortion came up, establishing a culture where that is was acceptable because it wasn't so acceptable then in most societies. Um, controlling. Uh, Population by <coughs> eugenics, which of course was pioneered in this country by Barbara Sanger, and then picked up by the Nazis, who considered her an, an inspiration. Uh, eugenics is essentially you uh, neuter people who are not you, who in your book, are not smart uh, or are uh, some or have a physical disabilities. This kind of thing. It's really rather chilling. Um, and and things of this kind. Uh, nobody mentioned um, uh, extermination camps, thank God. But they did mention the neutron bomb or ERW weapons, which were being had been developed, but hadn't been, wouldn't be deployed for another two years, according to my recollection. And uh, those sorts of weapon, uh, radiation weapons of those of that kind, will kill people. Uh, but do very little damage to property, so it's perfect. For, you know, talk about and I'm, chills were going up my spine, and uh, <clears throat> that conversation has haunted me all my life since then. And then I saw this. Maintain. I it mean, it's like the same guys could have been talking with. Now a uh, number two, fitness and diversity. Okay, uh, new language. Well, they tried Esperanto. Uh, right, Peter? And uh, yes. that went over like a lead balloon, <clears throat> although you can still find it here and there. Um, and then uh, w- one of the thing that, that figures in here is tempered reason. You know, one person's reason is another person's foolhardiness. I mean, what do you mean by reason? You know, um, if it's things that, that can be squared with human knowledge and human thinking, that's not good enough for me. I don't know. So all the way through this, I I, kind of get nervous with this. I don't know who blew it up. Maybe any sort of Bible-believing Christians would take offense at this. Um, But reason, on the other hand, is supposed to be the basis of the United States of America. You know, if if you read the Declaration of Independence... Uh, our founders, most of them, many, anyway, were, were children of the age of reason. And they speak of nature's God. That That's right out of the age of reason, that, that terminology, you know. Even Voltaire, you could say. Yeah. So, um, reason is good. Reason can also be uh, unreasonable. I don't trust people. People are not rational. <clears throat> the UN... At least the impression I got when I was done, and this is 50 years ago, was, uh, you know, what organization doesn't want more power? You know, and I just don't trust this kind of thing. But when I saw this written on that stone, having been written on on that stone, it it all came, the conversation came flooding back. And I just wonder, where are these people today? How much power do they have? And, And is this an agenda? And again, you know, people say, oh, it's a conspiracy theory. Well, I hate to tell you this, but history is full of conspiracy theories. What do you think of 44 B.C. that, that senators in Rome just took it into their heads to jump on Caesar and stab him? It was a major conspiracy. Hitler and Stalin, a conspiracy to divide up Poland, secret uh, protocols to that treaty, to their non-aggression treaty. Uh, you know not aggression against each other, but uh, plenty of aggression toward everybody else mm. so <clears throat> I think you have to in in in, in uh, fifty two years in the paranormal and forty three years in journalism professional journalism i 've learned you have to be just as informed and dis- and uh, discriminating about what you don 't believe as well as you have to be about what you do believe
2: mm.
0: so th- so that 's my two cents. Ben, Peter, what say you?
2: You first, Peter. Well, one thing that's, that struck me is that there's a book that the uh, this uh, Mr. Christian uh, wrote, the, uh, the architect or the originator of this project. Uh, that would be interesting to read that book. I think it's 1986 was the date of the publication. Also, apparently, there was a time capsule, which they tried to look for, and they couldn't find. Hmm.
0: hmm. Uh,
2: that would be, of course, a very interesting, what happened to that. Sure. I didn't know that. Um, and they dug for the time capsule and couldn't find it. So, um, I think that's something, obviously, that would be important. Um... Yeah, I, I, you know, anything, any kind of, like, uh, mysterious um, uh, ruins and mysterious writing always intrigues me, wherever it is in the world.
0: Everybody loves a
2: mystery. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, well. you know, I would like to, to see that book. And, um, um, yeah, it's terrible. It was destroyed. Yeah, there are some... Um, Mentions that to some of the people involved could have been of racist uh, inclination. So who knows what really went on there?
0: Um, oh, you're right. We know about ten percent of what re- is really going on, right?
1: Yeah. Uh, ben, well, um, <clears throat> excuse me. It's I I I've been really fascinated by the idea. Very, for the last, you know, few years now of, um, how, how narratives really kind of inform how we understand the world around us. And it's, it's, um, it's really interesting because you hear people sort of throw the term around like, oh, you know, they're towing the party line, they're towing the narrative, you know, the, the great narrative, whatever. But nobody ever takes the time to really kind of like consider the term narrative, right? You know, you think, well, it's just a story, who cares, right? You know, give me that, give me the facts, the straight facts. And it's like, well, we like to think we think of things factually, logically, you know, reasonably, right, you know, uh, rationally. We don't. You know, we, we think of things in terms of stories. You know, everyone's like, well, we've evolved beyond the caveman telling stories around the fire. No, we haven't. What do, you think the <laughs> na- what do you think the nightly news is? It's right. It's stories. You know, they're telling you stories based on a perspective, and they're saying, this is what's happening, and here's the story, quote unquote, Right and we, we miss the whole point of it's a story. Conspiracy theories are a thing because we... We like... There's so many complicated things happening now that we we have to... We have to create a story to understand all of it. And it's... So it, it makes it so much simpler if we can point to one person, one group, one entity, they're the ones that are doing this. They're the ones that are making life terrible when it's like, it's, it's really more complicated than that. There's so many groups and things and ha- things happening throughout the world, it's just inconceivable to the human mind that it's like, you know, it's, there's so many different, different things happening all at once that it's like, well, how come you don't hear about this genocide that's happening, I don't know, uh, it's just some random country out there because we're too busy worrying about another story that's happening here. You know, we're too busy worried about this, that, and this. there's just so many stories that are flying around that we're missing the pattern. And the the pattern always is, you know, there's there's always a bunch of people who don't really know what's going on. There's always a major government entity that tries to establish some sort of world dominance and then they fail spectacularly every time. Yeah. Right? You know, Rome is a perfect example, right? Okay. I always wonder, I, I always idly wonder to myself in, in times, I wonder how the plebeians felt about the collapse of the Roman Empire. They probably feel like us, where we're like, we have no no control over it whatsoever, and you see the senators voting themselves a bunch of money while everything's collapsing around them, and the Visigoths are invading.
0: Well, the plebeians, by the way, were the lower cl- working class people in Rome itself. Right,
1: so, it's, so it, class, it, yeah. it, it makes you wonder, you know, human nature hasn't really changed at all you know and people no. are trying to force it you know with, with <laughs> but it it just it hasn't changed you know gadgets and technology you know the, it's around it's there but the the human experience hasn't changed at all and the na- the narrative hasn't really changed either you know the terms have changed but ultimately we're we're living in this time where you know people are throwing around the word conspiracy theories and now it's used as a weapon to disarm you for whatever it is you're you're looking at thinking about whatever and it's not because everything's really a conspiracy theory, and so at the end of the day, we're all just trying to make sense of these very confusing things that are happening all around us.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, any more comments on that subject? Uh, we can take our break and uh, then move on. Okay. I'm so all set. Hearing neither yes nor nays, I will well, let's, uh, let's declare see. that you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WOON 1240 AM, 99.5 FM in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. We'll be right back with more of your questions and our great guest co-host, Peter William Shelley. So stick with us.
1: The night is alive. Join us and take a walk on the weird side when you tune in to The Kingdom of Nye, hosted by Heather Wade The finest in late-night talk, listen live free weeknights starting at 9 p.m. Pacific time at thekingdomofnigh.com, talkstreamlive.com, and the Paranormal Radio app.
0: Want to take a ride?
2: Local and live at 99.5 FM.
0: And here we are back at WON Radio AM and FM. It's Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno and our special guest co host today helping us out with your questions. Peter William Shelley. And we do have a phone number if people did want to call in. We always neglect to give it, but it's uh, 401-766-1240 from anywhere. And uh, we, a lot of people don't realize we have on our BehindTheParanormal.com website a uh, questionnaire that people can send fill out about experiences they've had either in the past or present. And we will... Uh, deal with them individually uh, usually by email because they tend to be far away but <clears throat> we thought now and then we like to take uh, these questionnaires and go through them on the air uh, for the benefit of others who may have had similar experiences <clears throat> experiences. So uh, here is one and uh, this is from Las Vegas, Nevada <clears throat> from um, uh, Cindy, okay? And Cindy writes, (coughs) this came in in April, that's how far behind we are. Uh, Around the early to mid-80s, and I was in my early uh, 20s, I guess, my mother was house-sitting an old friend's home while the lady was out of state. The woman, Eleanor, lived in her deceased mother's very old home in the Hollywood Hills, presumably uh, Hollywood, California. You can see the Hollywood sign from her house. (coughs) This woman was very interested, interesting as she had been the executive secretary to the owner of the Goodwin Myers Studios and had a lot of 40s and 50s photos and movie artifacts. Anyway, uh, my mother invited me to come up, rent a, video, a movie video, and spend the night. She admitted the house gave her the creeps. Later that evening, she went upstairs to sleep in Eleanor's room <clears throat> and I sat up uh, on the couch in the living room to sleep. I woke up to find a lady standing next to the sofa looking down on me. I don't know why, but I wasn't scared. I somehow uh, knew that she was just checking out the young stranger in her home and sleeping on her sofa. So I told myself she's only an apparition, uh, rolled over facing the back of the sofa and went back to sleep. I didn't even bring it up to my mother the next day as it didn't come to mind for some reason. Until a few weeks later when my mom was telling me that Eleanor uh, felt her mother was still in the home with her and I agreed because I had seen her. My mom was floored and excited uh, wanting all the details so I told her. Her response floored me. Eleanor's mother had passed away on that couch after suffering a heart attack while gardening. A neighbor had heard the woman's distress, distress cries and had come to help her. Got her inside and on the sober, and she passed uh, before help arrived. I've had a few experiences in my now 62-year life, and this is one uh, that made perfect sense to me. Okay, th- that's from uh, Cindy in Las Vegas. So why don't we discuss, if you want to look at this, Ben. Sure. Um, discuss um, that uh, the scenario, because it is rather a familiar one. I've had a number of cases where people have either uh, awakened and seen someone standing over them looking down on them, kind of a classic ghost thing. And I've had cases, I'm thinking particularly uh, one that's in uh, Footsteps in the Attic, um, the, my 2002 book. That happened uh, not far from Worcester, Massachusetts, or in our listening area here, where a woman walked in and uh, a, a ghostly figure was looking down at her baby who was sleeping, Uh, It can be somewhat disconcerting for any mother, certainly. So our interpretation of this, uh, when I run into it, people will sometimes say, well, you you think ghosts are are generally people from parallel universes where they never died, sort of interacting with us. But why would they be so aware of someone lying on that couch, say, in in, uh, Cindy's uh, narrative, or uh, the baby lying in the crib, uh, asleep in uh, Worcester, Mass. Uh, you know, wh- why would there be such awareness of people in other worlds? Well, uh, if that's what's happening, it, I mean, th- to me, if people were dead, they'd be dead. They wouldn't be doing anything, looking at anything, or standing over anybody. Uh, so the uh, multiverse thing, in my opinion, seems to uh, to hold water. And uh, there are many, and I've talked about this in my last book, Dancing Past the Graveyard, many examples that I've seen where people in other worlds are operating under different laws of physics, are very aware of us or versions of us, and and it gets kind of complicated. But I think that um, you can hold on to that theory and still have people looking at you (laughs) or looking at babies in cribs or what, what have you Uh, in, in that scenario, So I don't know. Uh, Ben, you want to take that and then we'll go to Peter?
1: Sure. Um, you know, it's, it's always really interesting. Um, when there's so many things to consider, I guess it's, it's like my first thought was, you know, someone in a parallel world was like, you know, you go to investigate a sound, right? You go and you, you you check it out, and I for one am always the the one that is made to be brave and go check out any sort of creek in the house when my my you wife know. wakes up in the middle of the night. Yep. Sometimes it's skunks, <laughs> so and we call the fire department, and it's horrible. So
0: that's <laughs> legendary in Douglas Mass
1: now. Yeah, uh, yeah, apparently it is, and that's a story for a different day. It's very funny though. Anyway, um, but you know, you get up and you go and you investigate, and, and that that very well could be it. Sometimes the simplest explanation is that. You know, but other times, you know, it's 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 one of those things where you more information is needed. If it's a house that kind of gives you the creeps, I mean, most places in Hollywood give me the creeps, so I I understand. It's uh, it's it's definitely um, it's definitely one of, one of the the more mysterious elements of it, where it could be you know, a person living their life in a parallel world, or it could be something else. But the fact that it didn't bother her really, other than just kind of appearing, you know, I, I I would I would guess that it's probably something around the in the vein of you know the worlds just happened to blend for that that particular second, and this poor woman who's just trying to live in her house is constantly <laughs> constantly wondering why are these people haunting my house, right?
0: Well, Hollywood's full of. We'll talk about that in a minute. We want to give Peter a chance to jump in
2: here. Uh, yeah, um, my first reaction was. Was the why was the witness's reaction so mild?
1: Oh, that too, yeah yeah yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah that's that's strange. If I if I see something like that, I'm gonna jump. I'm gonna I'm gonna yell. You know, it's not I, my reaction would not be nonchalant. Uh, that seems strange. Um, I mean, she is reporting it to you, but she didn't seem to be uh, emotional about it. And to me, I would have an emotional reaction.
0: Well, uh, one of the things we're very oh. interested I'm sorry,
2: go, go ahead, Peter. No, I, I, that was my... That doesn't seem a normal reaction to the supernatural, if that's what it was.
0: Hmm. Well, we, uh, we, we also have in the questionnaire, uh, which we'll get to in a second, uh, what were your physical reactions? How did you feel? A lot of people don't ask that. And uh, that is is very relevant to the, the presentation we're going to be giving at the Exeter UFO Festival in September about time storms. Funny term, but it's, it's uh, applicable to many of these cases. Um, people feel physically in different ways. The temperature may change. Uh, you may have tingling all over your body. And there could be reasons for that related to... Um, Membranes and time uh, disjointedness or time and space fluctuations that, that uh, the great British researcher Jenny Randalls has identified by the term time storms. Uh, very often, these will involve UFOs. Uh, there will be uh, phenomena such as uh, fogs or clouds, uh, even indoors. I've, I've seen that in the Bridgeport poltergeist case in 74. So these are all things that, that we ask. Uh, so what, what, what are the, some of the things we ask in the questionnaire, and how did uh, Cindy answer? Sure. Uh,
1: so one of the more interesting questions that we ask is, uh, if whatever you experienced uh, reacted to your response above, please uh, describe that reaction. Uh, for example, as I became more frightened, the entity approached me, uh, and the answer was, she didn't do or react in any way. For the moment, I, I woke to her there till I rolled over. Uh, she stayed the same. However, I did roll over and never looked back. Uh, I wasn't scared. I fell asleep right away.
0: Well, one of the things too is, uh, you know, that you may see them looking down at someone, or see them looking down at you. Are you what they're seeing? Because the, the, I, it's crossed my mind that perhaps uh, they they may be looking at a. Because uh, remember, remember, one of the things with the the quantum uh, mechanics approach to this is that there are there are. Virtually infinite versions of you In all sorts of different worlds And why would There be a uh, Intersect point or an overwash With another world if you weren't in that other world So to speak Mm. And uh, she could be looking down at A baby uh, in the Worcester case that is hers You know And in, in this life it's yours You know I mean it could be just that simple It may be other explanations But um the very fact that um, she might not have been, a, that that uh, the, the woman wasn't afraid, uh, Cindy wasn't afraid, uh, was because perhaps uh, she was uh, connected with herself, uh, other versions of herself. And I think it's all part of our subconscious, all these other lives. And she felt comfortable with the person who was looking down at her, who in, in that world may have been her mother or something like this. And, and this sounds like I'm reaching so as not to have a spiritualist explanation. But I really think it makes more sense than a spiritualist explanation. Uh, again, dead people would
2: be dead. you know. So,
0: anyway, Peter, any thoughts on this?
2: Well, in contrast, in 1969 when I was a child, where I saw a UFO in my backyard, I was yelling at the top of my lungs, I've seen a UFO, I've seen a UFO. And I was yelling. I had an emotional reaction, but that was just me. Yeah. Well, it's hard
0: to believe you and I were ever children sometimes, you know. (laughs) Anyway,
1: uh, Ben? you know it comes to the question kind of gets begged you know is there some sort of sleep paralysis thing going on here yeah that's is, another thing yeah is is there you know is it could it be a dream uh, you know she doesn't make any any mention of it and she has she does mention that she has had other paranormal experiences or or experiences in her life that could be classified as paranormal um but i mean that that in between stage especially during rem cycles it's it's possible you know you wake up you know you you think you see something and Nothing going on. If it's at a certain time of day, your body naturally produces cortisol, which is a uh, stress hormone that, you know, what, what makes you wake up in the morning, you get stressed out. And I, I actually learned a very fun fact, this is a fun aside, that if you eat breakfast in the morning, within 90 minutes of you waking up, it actually reduces your cortisol levels. So you end up is getting... Is that wh-
0: good? Yes.
1: Yes, oh. you're, you're less stressed out.
0: <laughs> okay. Yeah, well, that sounds very
1: good. Yes. So, so you know, you naturally have these, these stress hormones that are built up you know, and you, you awake, and you, you know, you could see something, or if you're half asleep, you know, you, or you, you have, like, you know, a sort of, like, you know, night terror experience or whatever. It doesn't sound like night terrors, but, you know, it could be sleep paralysis, but you don't know, right? But usually sleep paralysis is a little bit more, I, I guess, for lack of better words, violent, than, than just, you know, you casually seeing something and then rolling over. Typically, you don't move at all. So it's so it, it, there. Are, there are many, many more questions than there are answers.
0: <laughs> well, there are, and, and uh, maybe Peter will have a comment on this too. But, but there's the issue of uh, on the cusp of sleep, you know, the hypnagogic state or whatever. You know, th- you do tend to be aware of, of different things. Like for example, the other morning, uh, I could have sworn I woke up because the sun woke me up. I could have sworn that the uh, landscapers were outside, you know, blasting away at whatever they do. And uh, it woke me up. But when I got up, they weren't there. So they hadn't an arrived. Uh, and uh, what I think it probably was, was maybe a, some other sound outside or something that was was going on. But, but you know, you, you, you will interpret. It's almost like a pareidolia. I mean, you, your mind will interpret what it experiences. And especially on the cusp of sleep, going one way or the other. Yeah. Uh, I don't always trust what... Uh, People will experience, but then again, I mean if you wake up and you 're fully awake and you see these things uh, in the Worcester case the mother w- it wasn 't asleep it was it was late at night, but she hadn 't even gone to bed, and she walked in and saw this figure looking down at the baby so um, but i but I think th- there's a factor that whether it be sleep paralysis or some other uh factor of of that state of of awareness or consciousness between sleep and waking mm. that may may uh, influence us. Peter, what do you say?
2: well <clears throat> yeah my experience is there is emotional reaction when you really are in the presence of the paranormal uh, I, I question a lack of reaction something odd to that. Yeah. although there, there are UFO cases where people say that uh, a co-witness uh, does not react that only they reacted So that's strange. So I don't know what's going on. But if I see the supernatural, I'm going to react.
0: Yeah. Mm. Well, I know you listen to every show, uh, Peter, and and you've heard many of our guests, a lot of people do, many of our guests recently have been UFO experiencers and uh, describing different reactions, either um, being very happy about uh, what we would call an abduction experience or that sort of thing, and others who were... Uh, reported to be terrified, so um, I, I don't know. I don't really understand it either. I think if we don't sense danger, then we don't have the fight or flight experience. And if we do, we do. I, I, so I mean, I I can't. Uh, I'm at a loss because I've never, as far as I know, experienced had a close up UFO experience. We had a we videoed that one in ninth in the 2019, but it wasn't didn't land and take us aboard, that sort of thing. So not just the society. So, okay, um, what, what other questions uh, do we have on that question here, Ben, that
1: uh, hey, provide some depth? Let's see. Um, well, there were no other witnesses. She was alone um, when the experience took place. Uh, as, I, as I mentioned, um, she has had other paranormal, or other experiences in her life that could be considered paranormal. Um, she was interested in the paranormal before her experience, and that's really about it.
0: Well, we always ask, uh, what is the background? We find these things never stay, at least in our opinion, never stay in an isolation. Uh, we find that nine times out of ten people have had other sorts of paranormal experiences and um, of different kinds sometimes and, and that sort of thing. So, uh, But we, we uh, always look at, the, at the, try to give some depth to every case by looking at the background, looking at the area, and, and this, in my opinion, this questionnaire needs to be expanded uh to include other other factors, one that we, we always look at uh, the geological history of the area, the geotechnic energies that might be present, these things uh, in our opinion are all, are all relevant mm. so now, Peter, before we burn up the air which we almost have, what questions it wouldn't be a, a show without questions from Peter so
2: yeah i I got a question from for you when you were a seminary student. And you were getting in trouble with your superiors. What were they saying to you? And was there any particular incident? that? How were they aware of what you were doing, your paranormal well, research? Yeah. And, and what did they say to you exactly, do you recall?
0: Yes, uh, vividly. Um, I, I didn't keep my mouth shut, as I should have, of course. And I took other seminarians with me on... on like that first case and, and the first few cases because, you know, they, they were my friends. And, of course, they didn't keep their mouth shut either, so the faculty did find out about it. For example, this case in Pomper, Connecticut with the the children laughing and, uh, that we described and that's talked about umpteen times, uh, that was the first one. And uh, it didn't help that uh, Harry Chase, our local guide, contact the WYNY radio in Putnam, Connecticut, where people are listening right now to the show. And uh, that was my first radio appearance. Uh, it was um, in, I think it was November, yeah, no, it was October 31st, Halloween, that was a coincidence, of uh, 1971. And there, there we all were on the radio, okay, and uh and students from St. Thomas Seminary in Bloomfield Connecticut so so that that went over like a lead balloon so so um they uh, th- their attitude the faculty was essentially that um a, a little bit of confusion why are you interested in that sort of thing and uh you're too young keep your nose in your books and uh, study uh, your Latin and your English and all the subjects that you'd study at that academic level and uh, don't worry about this stuff but as time went by I ended up getting a a lot of experience uh, in this field uh, even at the hands of Ed Lorraine Warren and a priest in Washington D.C. who took me under his wing uh, Father John Nicola who was the leading exorcism expert at the time whom I met through my brother who was a priest in Washington and uh, but that didn't seem to cut much ice with the, the faculty now with the college level se- se- the, the major seminary that I attended for the last two years of college where you had to study philosophy now you don't have to do that they were very sympathetic and they actually gave me some support they, they, they set up um, a special courses for me in uh, abnormal psychology uh, with the idea that you can tell you know, who's nuts and who's got paranormal problems, but it's not that simple. Sometimes they're intertwined. And I ended up working, I don't think the faculty knew this, I ended up working with the diocesan exorcist, who liked Ed Lorraine Warren, uh, who actually came up to Wadhams Hall Seminary, it doesn't sound like a Catholic seminary, but it was, and uh, they came up at their own expense and spoke, uh, made a presentation to the student body and, and the uh, uh, the faculty. So, uh, but then I became Orthodox and went to their seminary in New York City, uh outside New York City. And uh, they did not want, they did not like Ed Lorraine Warren. Uh, you, were in, you were a new convert, you know, keep your studies. And uh, finally, in 1977, they had enough. They didn't even want to talk to me. Out I went, right? And this is graduate level theology. Not another two years or so, if I was married, I would have been ordained. So that that's the whole story there uh, they essentially uh were concerned about my uh lack of experience which i which compared with them, I had a lot more experience than they did, but they were concerned about my being misled. Uh, I was going to do my um, master's thesis uh, at Saint phildimmy Seminary on this subject, and uh, they didn't want to hear that either so anyway that that's that answers your question I hope.
2: Yeah, how, how unfortunate they reacted that way. Um, well,
0: uh, maybe the church and I both the, had a lucky escape. I meant where they expelled you. Yeah, was well, there well, there's a rather cloak and dagger uh, story behind the expulsion. There is a, um, I had a classmate who you had to kind of see to believe. <clears throat> he was from California. And he was from a very old and high ranking Russian aristocratic family and here I am this Yankee kid from New England without a Byzantine bone in my body and i don 't know if he felt i shouldn 't have been there or what, but he came to see me about a, a an issue uh, that he had that he said he had paranormally speaking and um, he I, we met in uh, you know private place in the seminary and I said go to your spiritual father we all had a priest uh, generally a priest or a monk who was our spiritual father I said go to your spiritual father with us and I said the the Lord's prayer with him he went to the faculty and said I performed an exorcism on him which is ludicrous now um, the the, um, rector of the seminary was a very distinguished priest, Father Alexander Shmeman. And if anybody's listening who was Orthodox, they'll, they'll know who he was, a great theologian, pretty much the, 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 the power behind the founding of the Orthodox Church in America, as opposed to the Russian Church. And so, because they're, they're independent national churches. So he um, eventually, uh, I called him and I said, What are you doing? You know, and, and he called me down to the seminary to, uh, to his office. Uh, and this is in the second semester, and I of that year because this happened in December, and um, I said, "What, what, um, what, what's this about?" He said, and I told him I didn't perform any exorcism, and he said, essentially that he just flown in from Paris and I went to the faculty meeting. He was uh, warned to a frazzle, and the first thing he hears is about me performing an exorcism, and he hit the roof. Out, I went. So he apologized for that. He said you want to come back and study, right? I said, "Yes, I do." And um but the, the, I never got readmitted. So I, I don't know. Maybe the, I took that as a kind of a message I, my my bishop um who is now up for a sainthood, Bishop Dimitri, who was from Texas, and he uh he said, you know, he didn't want to push the seminary but he thought, thought I should go back, but obviously I never did. Now, interesting that the guy who accused me of performing an exorcism is now a bishop himself. So, I mean, you know, there are personalities in there, but uh, anyway, I, I kind of took the hint that this is not the path I should be on. So, mm-hmm. and then I ended up in journalism, which was a whole different story, so to speak. So, I don't know, I, people are interested in, in that whole saga, but that, that's well, that's what it is. Mm. So, anyway, I think we better uh, get to our announcements here
1: It is uh, indeed that time Yes, it is And so we'll start off with yeah, If you're into supporting uh, children's charities And also, like Alien Crunch ice cream If you've ever had it before If you've never had it Well, now is your chance okay. Roswell Burgers and Spaceship Chips You're in luck The Exeter UFO Festival returns in September Right around the corner At the historic Exeter New Hampshire Town Hall Over the Labor Day weekend That's September 3rd and 4th uh, This is a great event and the whole downtown gets involved. It's sponsored by the Exeter Area Kiwanis Club to benefit local children's charities. Along with ourselves, speakers will include Kathleen Martin, Peter Robbins, Jennifer Stein, Bob Terrio, Mike Stevens, Lynn Nickerson, Valerie Lafaso and Mac Maloney, among many others. The subject of our talk will be time storms with many thanks to the great British researcher Jenny Randles who coined the term and we plan to do our traditional live broadcast from the event on Sunday with a panel of the speakers. And this is a very fun event so if you can join us, please do that and if you want more details, you can visit ExeterUFOFestival.org
0: And Peter, uh, where can people hear your show?
2: Uh, YouTube Shadowy Spectrums
0: Very good. I like the short answers when we're out of time. Okay, um, so uh, let's. Got about a uh, what's uh, what's going on next week, Ben?
1: Well, first, if you like charity sh- charity pages, we do have a charity page on our website. That's BehindTheParanormal.com, where you can also find our free shows all about our show, our cases and all sorts of good stuff and, and how, to, how to listen to us. You can listen to all of our podcasts as well. That's on pretty much every major podcast platform. So next week, that's July 17th, we'll welcome back the great British cryptid hunter Richard Freeman to talk about In Search of Real Monsters.
0: Now, Peter, you have a quote for us.
2: Yeah, I want to quote um, one of my heroes, uh, Rod Serling. Mm, cool. responsible for the classic uh, TV show, uh, the original Twilight Zone. He had many great quotes. Here's one of them. For civilization to survive, the human race has to remain civilized. There we
0: are. Well, that's Peter Shelley. I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno. And
1: thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey. And we shall see you next time on Behind the Paranormal.
0: Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of... Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.